Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, if you will. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of Matthew chapter 7. We are returning to our Sermon on the Mount series. The title of the message is Handle with Care. All of us are familiar with packages marked handle with care. In some cases, those words mean that something inside of that package, uh, that parcel, is uh, fragile. You'll remember Mr. Parker as the old man on the Christmas story. He said, fragile, that it was uh, fragile instead of fragile. Sometimes packages are designated handled with care because of uh, a volatile or explosive uh, nature. They could do some serious damage if they were to uh, explode or blow up. The sheer importance of some of the stuff of life requires that we handle it with the utmost care. And that being said, that's the label that we're going to put on the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7 today. Here's something that should be handled with uh, care. And we are talking about judgment. Matthew 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs that uh, what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Let's start with this and get right into the message. The justice of judgment. There is a certain amount of justice that we have to understand in the matter of the judgment of life. Most people see this passage as the prevention of judgment, when really that's not what the passage is saying. We're placed in judgmental situations every single day. You can't live life without making judgment. You can't live life without sitting in judgment. We interact with our families and our friends and our associates at work, and as we do so, we are called on to make judgment calls and we must make judgment calls. Judgment calls have to be made in our spiritual lives, too. Uh, when we go to the voting booth, we are making a decision based on a judgment. In fact, that's exactly what we're doing. We are there to judge the candidate and to decide, this is the one I want, this is the one I don't want. This verse is more about understanding the, the justice of judging than it is to prevent us from exercising uh, judgment in the normal uh, callings or the normal walk of life. And let me just say this to you. We certainly should be careful about becoming a judgmental person. But this passage is not saying to you, don't ever judge anything under any circumstances. It's just giving you some instruction about it. When we find ourselves in a position of judgment, there are two matters to consider. First is our exposure. When you judge, you are placing yourself in a position of 
being exposed. That's what verse 1 is teaching. Judge not that you be not judged. This is what most people know and, and quote. And the word judge and judgment means the distinguishing between good and evil. Don't we have to do that? Don't we have to decide when something is good? Don't we have to decide when something is, is evil? If not, if we couldn't decide between good and evil, we'd just take our children to any kind of movie that we wanted to. If we couldn't decide, make the judgment of what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, what is right and what is wrong, we'd have our children in places they shouldn't go. And we'd make financial decisions that would place our families in jeopardy. And there's so much that could go uh, chaotic in our lives if we didn't exercise good judgment during the courses of our lives. Digging a bit deeper, we find that the Greek word uh, for judgment here is krino. And it's the same word from which we get our word critic. And what we're seeing here is the development of, of a warning against having a critical spirit. The, and, and our tendency is to become a critic. There are a lot of people who live a critical life. In fact, here's how we live our lives a lot of times. We live our lives in prejudgment. Do you know uh, what comes from the word prejudgment? Critic uh, or, or crino gives us the word critic. Critic is a way of prejudging. Do you know what comes from the word prejudging or what comes from prejudging? Prejudices. And so what we do is we oftentimes develop our lives according to our prejudgments, according to our criticism, according to our, our crinos, and we live by our prejudices. Now, here's what it means to be prejudiced. It means to make a decision prior to judgment. It's not saying you, you shouldn't judge, but you shouldn't uh, be krenos. You shouldn't be critical. You shouldn't make a decision prior to good judgment. Before you see a person, you see whatever it is that causes you to react. And there's something within all of us that has a reactionary spirit toward something. Sometimes people react to color the color of another person's skin. Sometimes people react to gender. Sometimes people react to, to locality, uh, where, you're, <clears throat> where you're from or where you're, uh, it appears that you're from, where you grew up. Uh, sometimes there's that. Your appearance, what do you look like? How have you taken care of your body and, and so on? Uh, your religion, you could go on and on. There are a lot of ways to prejudge. And when we do, we're setting ourselves up to be prejudged in the same way that we prejudge. The exact same way. That's something that we fail to understand. Is that, and that's what Jesus is saying. Whatever you do, however you set yourself up to be a critic, please understand that there is someone setting themselves up to be a critic to you in the same manner. Does this mean that our prejudgments are not accurate? Well, it may or may not, but that's not the point. The point is that there's a deeper story to anyone than how they first strike us. When you first see someone, you make a decision. But I can assure you there's a deeper story to that person than the decision that you made or the decision that was made about you. Nobody wants that to happen to us. No one would say, I want people to look at me and make a snap judgment and keep me in that light for the rest of my relationship to them. We just don't want that. There's always something deeper, and we shouldn't prejudge. 
We shouldn't uh, be krinos or critical because when we are, we should understand that that is the kind of, of life that we're going to end up living. Not so much that we're critical of others, although we are, but others are going to be the same toward us. Recently, I had a, a visit in my office from someone who was having an issue. Uh, and since this is an FCS day, I'll just tell you, they were having an issue with the, uh, uh, that I needed to address in regard to North Florida Christian School and kind of the way that their student was playing out at North Florida Christian School. Now, I'd never met this man before, and all, all that I got was what I could get through, through email exchanges. Now, let me tell you about email exchanges. Most of you know this, but, but we don't really cognizantly think it as, as much as we should. Emails are very sterile. I had a, a guy want to come meet me uh, about something one time. I said, couldn't you just shoot it to me in an email? And his response was, emails are very sterile. I'm afraid that it wouldn't be taken in the way that I intended. And I said, oh, well, fine. I understand that. And so I met this guy and I, uh, by way of email exchange, and I kind of had a, an idea of what he was going to be like before he walked through the door. I mean, I, I kind of had formulated a krinos, a prejudgment about what this guy was going to be like. And, and so the guy came in, and, and I'd never seen him, but I had pictured uh, what I thought he would look like. I was totally wrong on that. And when he arrived, he came in and he sat down, and the first statement out of his mouth when I, after we exchanged niceties was actually an inflammatory statement. It was, it was, what he said was inflammatory. But you have to understand, this guy had been dealing with an issue and, you know, he had reached the Popeye stage. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. He kind of hit that stage. And, uh, I mean, that's the only people that would ever come and sit down and talk to me is when they have all they can stands and they can't stands no more. I mean, very few people come in to say, Pastor Ray, I'd just like to tell you what a wonderful place this is. What a marvelous man you are. Here's $100. That rarely happens. That just doesn't happen very often at all. It has happened, but uh, it doesn't often happen. So he sat down, and the first thing out of his mouth was, was a bit inflammatory, almost combative. But I had determined ahead of time that I wasn't going to allow that. And, and that didn't mean that I was going to stop him. It meant I was going to stop me. I wasn't going to be combative. And I said, oh, my goodness, why would you say that was the statement that I made. I said, oh, my goodness, why would you say that? And then he went on to speak, and I said, I can assure you that that's not the case. Let's get to the root of the problem. And as we talked, what I learned was that he was from a part of the country where, and I'm not going to say what part of the country uh, it was, uh, but where bluntness is more prevalent than it is down here in the South. <laughs> I'm not going to prejudice anyone as to the part of country that he was from, but down here in the South, we're not quite so blunt. You know, we say sweetheart to everybody, and sweetheart can mean everything from sweetheart to something that I can't say in this pulpit. You understand? He was not from sweetheart land. Now, we talked for some time. I had a couple of our school administrators in the office with me. We talked for some time, and it wasn't long before I looked at him, and I said, I really like you. 
you remind me of one of my best friends from the past. And he said, really? And I said, yes, you really do. Now, I'm not going to go any further than that, but to say this, that I had to check my, my prejudging at the door. And I had to give him a chance to gain some exposure to me and me to him. It's helpful to get past our prejudices and to the person. If we don't, we, we expect ourselves to be the same, uh, we, expect, uh, we expose ourselves, excuse me, to the same prejudices that we live by. In fact, even though having judgment or being placed in judgmental positions is inevitable, there's also certain expectations that come with that assignment. What are the expectations of the person that's put in a judgmental situation? Let me just say this now. We're exposed. We've already established that. You get exposed. Now, what are the ex- expectations? Sometimes on the golf course, I'll get behind a group that's playing in a much different way than I play. But these people in front of me do something that I never do. I've never done and I never will do. And not for spiritual reasons, but for financial reasons. These people in front of us will play for money. And uh, you say, Pastor Ray, would you not, uh, don't you have a spiritual objection to that? Yes, but I have a financial objection to it as well. Uh, Simply because if I'm going to give money away, I'll just do it at the beginning of the round. Here, take all this money. Well, here's what happens when you play behind somebody who's playing for money. They have to sink every putt. Every single one. They have to sink every single putt. I don't play with people like that. I don't play. I, I mean, it's not so bad that if it's on the green, it's good, but it's pretty close, you know. I, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't play that way. I, we, we, we absolutely have kind of our understanding of each other and our expectations of the game. We're just Saturday golfers, and we have that expectation of the game. Now, those guys who play in front of us sometimes, they have a completely different expectation of the game. And they have to putt according to the expectations of everybody else. In our foursome, or in any foursome, there's the same general expectation. Now, in the tricky business of judging others, you find the expectations you cast are the ones that come back to you. Again, from our text, verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We should expect to be judged in the same way that we judge and to the same extent that we judge. Just remember that you're setting yourself up for a time of being judged as you place judgment on others. Not saying to you that you can't be in a position of judgment. Your job may call for that. But understand, you're setting yourself up to be judged by others when you're in that position. So that's the justice of judgment. Now what about the value of vision? Some people are so involved in judgment that they have developed that critical spirit. And if there's ever a time that we should be fair and we should be balanced, it's in matters that call for good judgment. To have that sense of fairness, we have to be, have clear vision, an overall sense of balance, and an overall sense of understanding. That means that we have to be aware of our own blind spots. 
See, we're talking about how we relate to other people, especially in matters where we're placed in judgment. But we have to be aware of our blind spots. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Everybody has blind spots. You have a blind spot. I have a blind spot. I have more than one blind spot. These are aspects of, of our lives where we simply do not see unless we consciously make an effort to see them. I've always used the three-way mirror in department stores as an illustration of notifying your blind spots. You go walking through the department store and you see a person uh, in the mirror and you form a fleeting judgment about that person, what they look like, what their profile is like. My goodness, those clothes really don't fit them very well whatever it may be, and then you take another step and realize that's you that you're looking at. And you have all of a sudden seen yourself from a perspective that other people see you every day all the time. And you go, oh my goodness. And, and more times than not, it's not flattering. You say, is this the way that other people see me? Yeah, but they're pretty much used to it. You've just never seen it. Oftentimes we are, we, we place ourselves in a, a position and, and we, we try and judge another situation when we've got a blind spot so glaring that we really are not in a position to judge. To be a fair judge of character, we should ask the Lord to reveal those things in our own lives that need work. We, we may be nitpicking those around us and, and failing to see some sizable flaw within us. It takes a good measure of humility to ask someone to show you your blind spots. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done that. I don't know if I've ever walked up to somebody and said, look, here's the kind of friendship that I want us to have. When you see that I have a blind spot, I want you to point that blind spot out to me. Now, if you could have that kind of a relationship with somebody, that'd be a great thing. If you could have that kind of a friendship with somebody, that'd be a great thing. But usually we don't want that. We don't want people pointing out our blind spots. It's, it's kind of like the, the person when you're sitting at, at lunch and you get food on your face, only your friends and loved ones will tell you that you got food on your face. They love you enough to tell you, hey, look, you got something on you that you're not going to want to get up and walk out on. or You got something in your teeth or whatever it may be. And our first response oftentimes is to be a little bit embarrassed about it, but we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. We should be thankful and say, thank you very much. What's really hard is to allow somebody to get into our lives and show us our, our blind spots in, in, that, uh, in that way. It's, it just, it's just too humbling. I'm not recommending that you enter into that kind of relationship with anyone. But I, I will tell you that you do have to consider your blind spots. And you say, well, how do I consider my blind spots if I don't have somebody to tell me? Well, if you want somebody to tell you, that's fine. But if you don't, let me show you something from the Bible. In Psalm 139 and verse 23, here's what the psalmist wrote. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way <clears throat> everlasting. If we aren't mindful of our own shortcomings, yet we continue to be critical of others, 
then we're just being absurd. In fact, that's the, the second thing about the vision. We make absurd attempts. Let, let me just show you again in verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? We sh- should be so sensitive to our own spiritual condition that a flaw in our character or walk should irritate, irritate us in the way that a speck of dust does. You ever get dust in your eye? You ever get sawdust? When I was a young man, I worked every summer with my brother on construction. And, and a lot of what I would do is, is I, would, I would be the saw man. I would cut the lumber. Whether I, we were cutting rafters, that was before the days of roof trusses. Roof trusses were just being started back then. And I'd, I'd cut the, the rafters or the joists to the studs or the door jacks, whatever it may be. And sometimes I'd stand there for most of the day just working a, a saw. And that was before the day of safety goggles. We didn't even know anything about safety goggles back then. Asha was just a mispronunciation of okra uh, back then. And we didn't know anything about Asha. And so I, I would cut and, and inevitable every single day and I would squint when I would cut to keep this from happening but every single day I would forget and a piece of sawdust would fly up and it would get in my eye and I'm going to tell you something when the sawdust got in my eye all the cutting stopped all the dealing with the the uh, uh, the doors and the tees and the whatever it may be ended I had to get that out I would do all kinds of things I would pour water in my eye. I'd take my top eyelid and pull it down and see if I could blink it out. And sometimes it would get lodged in there so bad, and this is when it was really, 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 really bad, that I would have to ask another person on the construction team to blow in my eye. I would pull my eye open. I'd say, blow that out of my eye. Now, most construction workers don't really freshen up for the day. <laughs> but when you get that in your eye, you simply can't function. There's nothing else that can be done. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be that sensitive to our spiritual condition? So in tune with God that we know when there's a speck of dust that got into our lives. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for us to know immediately, I am out of sync, I am out of whack, I am, there's something going on, this is wrong here. Usually it's something much different than that for us. Usually it's the frog in the kettle thing. And rather than being offended by spiritual blindness, we just become used to it and, and, and we just kind of boil with the pot and, and we are unable to relate to others in a way that should be effective, that should be honest, an honest effort. Verse 5 says, you, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. According to Warren Wiersbe, two extremes must be avoided in the matter of spiritual self-examination. The first is Uh, the deception of shallow examination. Sometimes we are so sure of ourselves that we, we just won't be honest and thorough in our evaluation of ourselves. The second extreme is a perpetual autopsy. 
get so wrapped up in self-examination that you become unbalanced and immobile. We should, we should be or try to look at more than ourselves when we become discouraged and defeated. What we should do is we must look by faith to Jesus and let him forgive and restore us. Let him reveal to us those blind spots and those problems. After having judged ourselves honestly before God and having removed those things that blind us, then we can help somebody else. But not until then. One ancient patriarch of the church said it this way, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. Finally, we come to the justice of judging. We started off by saying that having judgment and being placed in a position of judgment is just inevitable. Now, there's some justice in judging. How do we judge rightly? Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now that's kind of an interesting thing right here. First of all, uh, this is talking about when you're placed in a position of judging, don't use bad judgment. You're placed in a position of judging, don't, don't cast pearls before swine. Uh, don't, don't give that which is holy to dogs who won't understand it. If you're a believer, you have become a steward of the things of Christ. Those things that are above and not those things on the earth. This verse is telling us that we must be careful as to how we invest and entrust that which is sacred. It's simply a bad idea to give someone a level of trust or responsibility which they cannot handle. It's just a bad idea. I'm not sure if these folks are are here today, but we have a man in our church family who founded along with his brother and another man in town uh, a a business that's called Transam Depot. I've talked about him before. The basics of what they do is they take current muscle cars, uh, primarily the Chevrolet Camaro, and they remake them into a modern version of a muscle car from days gone by, cars that aren't being made anymore, like the Transam. They'll take the, the Chevrolet uh, Camaro and they'll remake it into a Transam or a GTO Judge or an Oldsmobile 442. And depending on the, the options that the customer calls for, they can change the engine. They literally have the ability to build an engine with 1,100 horsepower. That's amazing, really. 1,100 horsepower. Now, here's an example of bad judgment. Bad judgment would be to put me behind the wheel of a car that has 1,100 horsepower. That's just bad judgment. That's not thinking clearly. If the guys at Trans Am Depot have good judgment, they will never say, hey, Pastor Ray, why don't you take one of these for the weekend? There's bad judgment and there's good judgment. In every area of life, we want to have good judgment, not bad judgment. If entrusting that which is holy to dogs is a bad idea and casting pearls of wisdom uh, or otherwise to, to a pig is simply foolish, then where do we cast our pearls and invest our holiness? 
I was in a staff meeting the other day, and I was sharing with the staff something that, that um, I felt was important. And just to be real honest, I felt like that, that some of the staff was missing it. And I stepped back and I said, now, I'm giving you pearls here. And I kind of hesitated a little bit. And, and what I was saying is, don't step on these pearls. You deal with these pearls the way that you should deal with, with pearls. How do, you, how do you decide where to cast the pearls of wisdom? How do you decide where to invest holiness? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples as they were sent out to share the message in Matthew ten fourteen, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and when you leave that house or, or town. To the best of our ability, we invest in those who will receive the pearls with holy insight. We invest in those people who will receive what we, we should have to have to say in what we do. I have on occasion been in a situation where some drunk wanted to uh, talk uh, religion with me. He said, well, Pastor Ray, did you take that opportunity? Oh, no. No, you, you, no, you can't talk holiness to somebody who's, a, who's drunk. You just can't do it. You, you, you don't cast pearls before. That's exactly what this is talking about right here. You wait for them to sober up or you get them sober. And they will forget when, when a guy in, in my fir, very first church down in Sanford, Florida, his name was Tex Pravat. Tex Pravat came in one Wednesday night, big, giant man. He had to be six foot five and weighed 300 pounds, big, giant man. He came in there on a Wednesday night and was just squalling, just squalling. And uh, he had to talk to the preacher. His wife went to our church. This guy was, quote, unquote, the town drunk. And I mean to tell you, he was a town drunk. And he had tied one on, and he had gotten really sad over being the town drunk and really sad over being the kind of husband and father that he was. And he came to the foyer of the church, and the deacons came to me, and they said, uh, Tex Pravat is out in the foyer, and uh, he's squalling, and he wants to talk to you right now. I said, is he drunk? And they said, we think so. And I said, well, take him back to my office. And uh, I, I didn't know anything about drunks, and I, I said, make coffee and keep coffee going to him. And so by the time the service was over, I went back there, and Tex had had a good measure of coffee. He was still a good measure drunk. And I said, Tex, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stay with you till you sober up because you've got something you need to hear. And, and finally, after a period of time, Tex sobered up, and Tex came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was a wonderful thing. Tex went on to live. He went home that night, went home that night, and went into the, the kitchen and took all the whiskey that he had in the, in the uh, cabinets and poured them down the drain. His wife told me about it took all the whiskey and he poured it down the drain. His life had changed. And, and there, was a, there were different results when you had good judgment versus bad judgment. Look, it's not a good investment of biblical wisdom to, to be in a judgmental position 
and to be in a judgmental position and not realize the kind of blowback that it comes to, uh, that comes from it. Now I want to close this message today by encouraging you to think about the judgmental position of your life. Usually we want to apply that verse to a very narrow sliver of life. But the reality is that is a broad, broadly applicable principle. You're going to be placed in a position of judgment. Will you judge in a way that is wise, that is fair, that is insightful? Will your judgment be such where that you have a clear understanding that as you judge, you're going to be judged? That's the way. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray, lchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.